Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 says this. And he believed the Lord. And he, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. So we are tracing the Jewish roots of our redemption. This is actually lesson number six, so I would suggest that you go back and hear the previous ones. I believe it will help you. You cannot properly understand the present without a clear understanding of the past. You not only need to know where you are, you need to know how you got there. Uh, one man, uh, I don't think he's a Christian, he's just one author, Michael Crichton, he said, if you don't know history, then you don't know anything. You are a leaf that doesn't know it is part of a tree. So what it means is we need perspective. We need perspective. We often approach Christianity from the vantage point of our own experiences. So in other words, uh, you frame the whole subject based on your personal testimony. Well, yes, I entered a small church, you know, in the village or what have you, or I was in the youth group that day, and I raised my hand, and Jesus became my Lord, and so forth and so on. I remember, you know, the time that we were praying, you know, and God touched me. And that's all fine. It's just very limited. We tend to interpret the Bible in the light of our own history. So that means if it's something you have not experienced, it doesn't mean anything to you. But to truly see the realities of Christ, we must go back not to your history, but to Israel's history. God appeared to a man in Mesopotamia and promised to make of him a great nation, though he was old and his wife was barren. And God told him in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, the previous verse, that his offspring, his descendants, would be as numerous as the stars in the night sky. And Abraham believed. Now there's something that we call the principle of first mention. The principle of first mention, which basically states that the first time something occurs in the Bible is significant. The first time something is mentioned in Scripture, take note of it, because that is especially important. And the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. So if you want to know how this all started, you got to begin there, right? So this verse, Genesis 15, 6, which we read to you, this is the first time the word believe is found in the Bible. That might surprise you. It's the first time the word believe is found in the Bible. Now, others before Abraham had faith. Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice by faith. Enoch walked with God by faith. Noah prepared an ark by faith. But what happened to Abraham that day was unique and special and relevant for us, especially relevant for us. In fact, the New Testament mentions this verse three times. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. The Hebrew word for believe is the word aman. But we say it this way, amen. 
Amen. And this word has several shades of meanings, you know, kind of like a family of, 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 under, of definitions. But one of those meanings is to consider trustworthy. To consider trustworthy. So I think Abraham did not simply believe the statement that God made him. You, your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. That's true. But I believe he did more than that. I believe he considered God to be trustworthy. He knew God existed. He knew there is a God. In fact, he's already heard God's voice from before this time. But at that moment, he made a decision. From now on, I'm going to trust you completely. And not just what you said now, but whatever you say, I'm going to believe it. Praise the Lord. Amen. And so because Abraham considered God trustworthy, God considered Abraham righteous. A fair exchange. Now, this is so important. What does the word righteousness mean? You know, we, we, we banter around different terms and words, you know, in church. And to be honest, sometimes I don't think we know what we're really talking about. And it isn't, it isn't sufficient just to say the right things. We need to know what we're, what we're saying, you know. So let's, let's take a minute here to dive a little deeper. Very simply, actually. Righteousness. Well, in the English language, you're going to get a little English course. In the English language, the suffix, E-O-U-S, suffix would mean the ending of the word. You know, righteous, righteousness. E-O-U-S, that suffix, that ending, means having this nature or quality. Having this nature or quality. So if someone is courteous, he treats others with courtesy, Right? Uh, if something is plenteous, that may not be a word we use too often. If something is plenteous, there's plenty of it, right? Then again, there is the suffix N-E-S-S, ness, righteousness. The suffix N-E-S-S simply turns an adjective into a noun. An adjective describes something. You know, I'm hot, I'm tired, I'm fast. A noun would be like the bottle, the table, something like that. So it turns an adjective into a noun. And this suffix, N-E-S-S, means being in that condition. So sleepiness means being sleepy. Uh, bitterness, like, well, never mind. Bitterness means being bitter, right? So righteousness means being righteous, and righteous means having a right nature or quality. Right. It means being right. It doesn't mean being factually correct. You know, two plus two is four. That's right. And that doesn't mean that. It means being morally right. You know that. But who decides what's right? Who can say that's right, that's not right? Who says that? Only God, God alone is the judge. That's one reason, one of the reasons, one of the arguments for the existence of God. We know there's a God because we know there's right and wrong. So sometimes I have done this, I have met people who say, I don't believe there's a God. I don't believe in God. And I say, do you believe in right and wrong? And they usually stop and think about it 
And they'll usually, if they think hard enough, they'll say, yes. And I say, why? Well, it's just that way. Yeah, but how do you know? Who's to say what's right and what's wrong? Is it right to kill someone? No. How do you know? Who's to say? Well, okay, it's right. Okay, we'll kill you. Oh, no, it's not right. <laughs> Who's to say? See, if there is no God, there is no truth. There's just a lot of opinions. That's why there really can be, even in society, no law without God. It's just based on what's trending at the moment. Huh? See? If there is no God, there is no sin. And of course, if there is no sin, there's no punishment for sin or consequences of sin. If there's no consequences of sin, there's no hell. And there's no reason to live any, you know, a certain way by certain code. So that's the real appeal to atheism. That means I can just do whatever I want. But there's a problem with that. There is a God. <laughs> and that, that's why people get so, you know, uh, bent out of shape. Because as soon as you say that, that sets in motion a series of facts. Well, that means there is right and wrong. That means he will judge us for right versus wrong. That means there is a punishment for being wrong. And that means that I can't just live any way I feel like we're living. And they say, well, I don't like that. Nobody asked you what you like. We're not talking about your favorite flavor of ice cream. We're talking about truth. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Glory to God. So righteousness is being right in the sight of God. It is his verdict and not the views of others. In other words, you're not righteous because everybody in your family says you're right. You're not righteous because everybody in Nagaland voted you right. You're right only because God alone is the judge, because he says you're right. And of course, the wonderful thing is, even if everybody says, you know, you're a loser, if God says you're a winner, you're a winner. He has the final say-so. You know, if the local panchayat found me guilty, the village council, you know, determined that I'm guilty, but then the Supreme Court of India found me not guilty, then who cares what the local panchayat says? We don't care what you say. The high, a higher authority has overruled you. So maybe everybody hates you. That's okay. A higher authority has overruled you. God loves me. Hallelujah. But you see, if you value the opinion of people more than the verdict of God, you're always going to be a captive. You're going to be a slave to others' opinions. And they know it. And so they, manipulative people will use that to control you. Mm. Oh no, we don't like that. Who? I better conform to what they say. But that means being a Christian makes you a rebel. You stand when everybody, it's, everybody else is bowing before the idol. You pray even though it's against the law. You don't conform to this world. Hallelujah. You swim upstream. You go against the grain. By pleasing God, you're going to make somebody displeased. So just get used to it. If you want everybody in the world to like you, including the devil, then you've made a terrible choice by becoming a Christian. 
but I think you must know it is better to have the smile of heaven than to have all the accolades of men. It's better that heaven is pleased with you, glory to God, than to have everybody, Tom, Dick, and Harry, pat you on the back and tell you what you are, what a great guy you are as you die and go to hell. No, I want the Lord's approval, not man's approval. Righteousness is God's approval. Woo. It's his acceptance and his approval. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. So, you know, maybe you don't dance as well as somebody else, but that's not how God judges things. Maybe you don't sing as well as these folks, but that's not how God judges things. Maybe you're not as handsome as me are, but that's not how God judges things. It's what's morally right. Amen. That's what gains his approval. Amen. Righteousness is not the summary of society. It is the declaration of God. Now, while others before Abraham, like most notably Noah, were considered righteous, the Bible describes them as righteous, that was by their conduct and their character. In this case, God credited righteousness to Abraham. That's why it's so unique. The, another translation, the BBE says, it was put to his account. Like the banker writes in the ledger book, deposited, you know, 10,000 rupees, God in his ledger book wrote down righteous. Who? Who? You know, when you go to the bank and you say, how much money is in my account? They don't say, let me go in the back room and count. <laughs> One, two, three. No, they look in their ledger book. It's written there. And whatever that says, that's the way it is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So God doesn't, you know, ask somebody's opinion what do you think about uh, Brother John? No, he, 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 he has his own accounting system. Praise the Lord. So God declared Abraham righteous, not because of his behavior, but because of his belief. Okay, that's a nice story, Brother John, but <clears throat> I'm kind of wondering, what does that have to do with me? Everything. Everything. Romans 4, verse 23 and 24 says this. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone. In other words, it's not just about him. It's not just talking about some old man, you know, in the Middle East who lived thousands of years ago. Not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. We are saved the same way Abraham was. The same way. We are saved the same way. We are made right with God the same way Abraham was, not by our own efforts to be good, but by faith. See, most Christians, they get it reversed, or a lot of people in the world, they certainly get it reversed. They try to do right so they can become righteous. It doesn't work that way. That's not the New Testament. God makes you righteous by faith so that you can do right. Right? Isn't that right? Amen? Praise the Lord. So we are made right by faith, not just believing there is a God, and one step further, not just knowing that Jesus died on a cross, 
but by considering the Lord trustworthy. By clinging to and relying on Jesus Christ. And if you truly cling to something, you're not holding on to anything else. If you're truly leaning with all of your weight on something, you're not relying on anything else. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's Jesus alone, full stop. Right? We're not adding Jesus to your collection of beliefs. We're not adding Jesus to your collection of gods. It's he and he alone. It's either Jesus and Jesus alone, or it's not Jesus at all. You know what I mean? It's God's way of salvation through the cross. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He was delivered up to death on the cross for our trespasses because of our sins. My sin put Christ on the cross. He was there. See, think about how terrible sin is. The punishment for sin was not a slap on the wrist, chop, chop, or spanking on the behind, chop, chop. It was crucifixion. It was not only death, but a shameful and agonizing death. That tells you how terrible the price was paid, how terrible sin is, right? Not only for our sins, but to remove our sins. And he was raised from the dead for our justification. That's the same Greek word as righteousness. The only difference is that, that one is an adjective you know, and the other is a noun. See, we don't, ha we don't have an English word, uh, righteify. We don't have a word like that in English language. So they say justify, to make just. But it means to be made righteous so that we might be right in God's sight. Now when God called Abraham, he gave him seven promises. Genesis chapter 12, verse two and three tells us, God said to him, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. Mm. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The word bless is mentioned five times in these two verses. Bless, 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 bless. And the word great is mentioned twice. God promised to bless Abraham so that he would be a blessing to others. Abraham would be the father of a great nation, which is Israel. And then lastly, from Abraham, all the nations would be blessed. So God started with that one man. I'll bless you. I'll make you great. And then through that, others will be blessed. And then beyond that, there'll be a great nation. And then one more step. No, actually, all the nations will be blessed. So that's a pretty amazing thing. This is a pretty significant event. This is not something that happened, you know, every Tuesday afternoon somewhere on the planet. This was a very unique thing, wasn't it? But again, what does it have to do with us? Let's look at the New Testament. Galatians 3.8 says this, and the scripture, it's actually the scripture we just read to you, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you 
shall all the nations be blessed. So when God said to Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth, you know, and when he says families, you know, you tend to think about like, you know, your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, but he actually means all the ethnic groups, all the tribes, all the different people groups. See, when God says the word nation, he doesn't think of a colored area on a map. He thinks of ethnic groups, people groups, families, basically, extended families, right? So when he said that, God was predicting that the nations of the world, not just the nation of Israel, but the nations of the world would be saved, or that is to say, it would be made available to them. Because through Abraham, the Redeemer would be born, Christ would come. That's what he's, that's what he's saying. And interesting, Galatians 3.8 tells us that in saying this to Abraham, God preached the gospel to him. That's what he says. Look at that verse again. He preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. So what Abraham believed is what Paul calls the gospel. He actually knew a whole lot more than you realize. I'm talking about Abraham. He's believing the same thing that you believe. But here's one step back. It's thousands of years before it happened. You're believing something that happened 2,000 years ago. He believed something that hadn't even happened yet. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now, God did not say to him, through you or in you all the nations shall be made righteous. He actually said they shall be blessed. Yet Paul says when God said that to Abraham, he was indicating he would make righteous the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, all the other nations. So why is there a discrepancy? Huh? He said you'll be blessed. Paul says actually he's talking about being made righteous because righteousness Righteousness is not a singular blessing like healing or prosperity. Righteousness is being restored to God to a place of favor. To a place of favor. It is a position from which all the blessings of God flow. Righteousness is not just a blessing. Righteousness is the mother of all blessings. Righteousness gives us access to all that God has. Righteousness is not just like giving a beggar a handout, some money, a loaf of bread. Righteousness is making that beggar your son and the heir of your household. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. Righteousness is not merely wiping away our wrongdoing, removing the negatives. It is giving us unmatched privileges and benefits in the house of God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. And so, in Psalm 5, verse 12, and we could, we could read maybe a dozen or more scriptures very similar to this. It says, for you bless the righteous, O Lord. Who does God bless? The righteous. 
You cover him with favor. See, righteousness is always connected to favor. It's always connected to favor. Favor with God. So that means not everybody has favor with God because not everybody in this world is righteous, right? Righteousness, you will bless the righteous, O Lord, with favor, you will cover him as with a shield. Favor will protect you like a shield. He didn't say he'll cover you with favor like a blanket, but like a shield. The favor of God is more secure than having a gun and bodyguards, you know, and, and, and a bulletproof vest. More secure than a watchman in the night. More secure than having, you know, a Swiss bank account. More secure than having your gold stored at Fort Knox. The favor of God protects you. Woo. So here's the point. There is a righteousness blessing connection. There is a righteousness blessing connection. All through the Old Testament, there are promises, you know, that God would bless the righteous, that the blessings of the Lord is on the righteous, right? The ear of the Lord is open to the righteous. All throughout the Bible, you see. Think about this. We often preach this way, you know, that healing is God's will or prosperity is God's will, or whatever, victory you know, is God's will, that type of thing, you know? And, and, and that's, that's fine. The only problem is that's not the way the New Testament is written. Can you, I believe that in this Wednesday night service that you, I, I hope all of you, at least the vast majority of you, you understand, I hope you understand that healing is God's will. Okay, I know that. All right, but we know that, you know that. But can you show me a single chapter in the New Testament that is written to prove that healing is God's will? No, you can't. No, you can't. I didn't, I didn't say any verses. I said just an entire chapter that's written, like Paul writing to the Romans, you know, chapter three, now concerning healing. Let me prove to you that healing, no, no, there's no chapter like that in the Bible. Can you find a single chapter in the Bible that's written to prove that prosperity, financial increase, I'm talking about the New Testament, that that's God's will. Once again, you can find chapters on giving that's pretty close to that, but can you actually find a chapter that's telling you prosperity is God's will? Now, concerning prosperity, let me show you that this is God's will. No, you can't. No, you can't. Well, why not? Because they had the Old Testament. They didn't need to do that because that's not how they thought. They knew God's blessings are on the righteous. He will prosper the righteous. He will help the righteous. He will strengthen the righteous. He will hear the cry of the righteous. He, he will heal the righteous. All throughout the Old Testament, we find it all over the place. So what do we find in the New Testament? Not just a chapter, for example, an entire book, even books that are written to prove to us we are righteous by faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The understanding was, well, if you have this, then you automatically have everything else. Hallelujah. See, the church world has a very beggarly description or definition of salvation. A lot of Christians think, well, it means you go to heaven. Yeah, that, that's true, but I mean, that, that's just scratching the surface. 
I mean, that's important. I, I know that's important. Of course, that's very true. But it's so much more than that. Or then others will say, well, it means you're forgiven. Well, yeah, that's true, but that's, that's just scratching the surface. I mean, that's just, that's just one aspect of it, I should say. It is so much more. See, if you find, there's lots of words, you know, in the New Testament about being saved like that, but if you find over and over again, especially Paul, he uses the word righteous to make us righteous. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the, from the dead, you will be saved for with, the, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness. With a mouth confession is made to salvation. He used that over and over again. Why? Because there's a righteousness blessing connection. That's how the Bible's written. That's how the Bible's written. So the reason God made us righteous is not just so we could be forgiven. That, of course, is true. That, of course, is true. But not the only reason, but so that we would be blessed. For thou, O Lord, will bless the righteous. Woo! Woo! And the word blessed in the Old Testament means one definition is empowered to prosper. Empowered to prosper. So we could say it this way. Abraham believed God and God empowered him to prosper. Woo! See, that, that's foreign to your thinking, but that's actually the truth. That's actually the truth. Hallelujah. So if we are made righteous the same way that Abraham was by faith, we just got through reading that in the book of Romans. If we are made righteous the same way that Abraham was, why would we not be blessed the same way that Abraham was? Hmm? Does the scripture tell us, does the book of Genesis tell us that Abraham had an assurance of heaven but was dirt? poor and poverty-stricken his whole life? No. No. Genesis 13, 2 is just one verse. Now, Abram, of course, that was his name before God changed it. Now, Abram was very rich. You know, I like that. He wasn't just a little rich or just rich. He was very rich. There are the rich, then there are the very rich. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, the very rich are the ones that the rich call rich. <laughs> I visited a home in America many years ago, a beautiful big home, and I was just talking to the fellow, the, the brother that lived there, wonderful man, man of God, and we were just talking like that, and I was like in awe, you know, his home was so beautiful, you know, and at the time, you know, I, I don't, we were staying with our parents or something like that, and it just, you know, we were in a little dinky apartment, actually, we were in a little dinky apartment, flat, and it was definitely a flat flat. And, uh, and uh, you know, we're, he was talking about, he lived outside of Washington, D.C., and not far from there. And he was talking about some areas in, near Washington, D.C., some, you know, and he, and he made the comment, now that's where all the rich people live. And I thought, I thought you were the rich people. You mean there are people that are even better off than you? <laughs> yeah, they won't even let you in their neighborhood. <laughs> so Abraham, that's another sermon. Anyways, Abraham, we don't need to love riches, but I'm telling you, Abraham was very rich in livestock. Now, you might say, you read that and kind of like, eh, you know, I don't need any livestock. Just one dog, one cat, I'm good. No, but, but you know, <laughs> or maybe you got one Christmas pig, I'm fine. No, no, but one wedding pig, you know. But no, see, these people, you know, for them, cattle 
see, is like Cadillac. <laughs> Cattle is, is money. That's what they do, right? They're not household pets. Hello, Bessie, how you doing? No, these are, this, is, this, is, this is their business. This is what they do, right? So having lots of cattle, that's why all through the Old Testament, you know, so many sheep, so many donkeys, and all this other thing. No, I don't even, I don't have a donkey. I don't, I don't really want a donkey. If I had one, I would give it to you. But you know, <laughs> but, but for these people, this is, this, is, this is their business. So this is a good thing. This is what they want. In other words, these people, if they had, if they had you know, like 20,000 rupees in their hand, they wouldn't buy a TV. They'd buy a cow. <laughs> They'd buy three or four or five cows because that's, that's, that's their business. That means something. He was rich in livestock and in silver and in gold. He didn't even have like, see, we think we're really rich because we have like a bundle of rupees, which is paper money which actually isn't worth anything. You just think it is. We all just think it is. Even dollars, we think, ooh, look at that, I got a lot of dollars. It's just paper. It, ain't worth, it actually isn't worth anything, except that we all believe it's worth something. Honestly, that's the, that's the truth. It's just a piece of paper. You know, if, if, uh, if they keep printing more of it, it really won't be worth anything. Just a piece of paper. But they, he wasn't rich in, in, in paper currency. They didn't have that. He, he had silver and gold in things of intrinsic real value. Think about that. Well, wait a minute. Why are so many Christians poor? Why then do so many struggle financially? I can just hear that question being asked right now. And I'll give you the answer. Galatians 3.9. Galatians 3.9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Those who are of faith. Do we have any of those who are of faith here tonight? Not, he didn't say those who are of fear. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, many Christians get a little bit irritated. They say, you're saying I'm not blessed? Are you, are, you, are you saying, I'm, I'm blessed? Look, buddy, I am blessed. I have peace and joy. Don't have one rupee to my name, but I have peace and I'm joy. And I am blessed. Well, I agree you're blessed. And I would also say that's most important. That's more important than anything. However, this verse didn't say those who are of faith are blessed. Full stop. It says they are blessed along with Abraham, meaning they are blessed the same way that Abraham was blessed. And Abraham had peace and joy and money. <laughs> now, if you don't have money, you can have peace and joy. And, and, and that's, that is first and foremost, don't misunderstand me, don't misunderstand me. But I think some people would have more peace and some would even have more joy if they also had the money. <laughs> I know, don't try to pretend you're too holy to understand what I'm saying. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Money isn't the most important thing in the world. I agree. I totally agree. But when you don't have any money, it's hard to think of what those other things are. <laughs> I, I don't want to overemphasize this, but I want to keep things in the right perspective. Amen. 
It's unmistakable that Abraham was very rich. Some people say, well, you know what? Money is really a curse. Well, did God curse Abraham? No, he blessed him. He, didn't, he wasn't rich, and after God blessed him, now he's a beggar. <laughs> the Lord blessed me. No, no, he was rich. Well, you know the truth is God despises the rich. Did God despise Abraham? No. He loved him. He called him his friend. Hallelujah. So evidently, like, a lot of thinking is totally unscriptural. Come on, you've been watching too many Hindi movies. We're talking about the scriptures now. <laughs> there, are, there, is, there, there are people who have lots of money that didn't get it from God. We all know that. But the blessing of the Lord, what is it, Proverbs 10, 22, I think? The blessing of the Lord makes one desperately poor. No, rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, you know what? To be honest, the only way anyone can get rich in this world is by cheating others. You must have been reading Karl Marx before the service. Well, Abraham's servant did not agree with that statement. It'd be amazing what would happen if some people read the Bible. Genesis 24, verse 35. This is Abraham's servant. It, it, we say the word servant, it says servant, but they didn't have servants, they had slaves. He didn't, he didn't have a job, like, you know, like, like we all have jobs, you know, and have, being, having a servant's attitude and everything. There's more than that. He belong, he is the property of Abraham. I'm not suggesting that we should do that. I'm just saying that's how it was. <laughs> and listen to what this man said. You, you would think that uh, this guy of anybody would just be very honest with you. And, and if he, anybody had a right to have kind of a negative attitude, this, this would probably be the guy. But he said, the Lord has greatly blessed my master. So that shows you, he, he's not just an employee. He said, my master. The Lord has greatly blessed my master. Notice he didn't say, oh, that old Abraham. Whew, he is a tricky fellow. <laughs> he's a shyster. You gotta watch that guy. He's got little deals going here. I, I, don't, I don't know how he does it. No, no, the Lord. This guy lives with Abraham. He's in the household. He, he's, this guy was actually the head of all the household, so he knows. He knows how things are happening, right? He could have said, I'm telling you, Abraham is just really smart. He is one smart cookie. I'm telling you, that guy has read so many books on finances and Wall Street. and I just, he's, just, he's brilliant. He's like you know, the Albert Einstein of money. No, 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 no. He said, the Lord. The Lord has greatly... See, God wants you to be rich but that's not enough. That, no, 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 that's not enough. Not just so you can be comfortable. See, that's what you want, maybe. He wants you to be rich so that everyone will know the Lord has blessed you. See, I told you earlier in previous Wednesdays that, 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 that we have been grafted into the, 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 the family tree of Abraham. Why? to make the Jews jealous. That's what Paul said. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. That's us, the non-Jewish the non people. To make the Jews jealous. We talked about a previous Wednesday, well, why are most Jews not Christians? And, and we answered that question. You go back and watch that lesson, right? So, so if we are dirt poor, 
I don't think there'd be any Jews that are jealous of us. You know, we don't have a lot of Jewish folk in India. There, there might be some. But I, I'm in America, we, we got them. We got them. They're there. <laughs> they own everything. I'm not trying to be, you know, anti-Semitic or something. But, I mean, I, in my hometown, there's a large Jewish community. The mayor for many years of our city was Jewish. And, uh, the, you know, they don't believe in poverty. They don't believe that poverty is humility. Oh, I'm just, just poor. Just walking down King's Highway. Just serving the Lord the best I can. Just taking bus number 11 wherever I go. Just, 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 just serving Jesus. Yep. Don't, have, don't even have one pie, but it's okay. Just me and Jesus. They don't believe that. That's foreign to their thinking. They believe that God wants them to be rich. Not even just kind of like okay. No, they don't believe in being okay. They believe God wants them to be rich. Why do they believe that? Because their Bible tells them that. And here's a little secret. Your Bible says the same thing. <laughs> but we've been, we've been religiously brainwashed by, by wrong thinking. Again, I, I, I get it. I am not suggesting that money is, 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 is our sole aim in life. And there are some people that are out of whack. But this is Wednesday night. Sunday morning, maybe I won't share this. But this is, this is Wednesday night. These, this is the true blues here. I mean, these, these people are really, I mean, they're all in for God, right? Okay, a little delay there, but okay, got it. The Lord has greatly blessed my master. And he has, you know, he just sleeps well at night. And uh, he has such, he's always got a smile on his face. And uh, he's dirt poor. No. And he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. So when God promised him in chapter 12, I'll make your name great, he didn't mean that you know, you'll have a big following on Twitter and YouTube and Facebook. You'll be famous. He meant you'll be powerful. You'll be greatly resourced. And he has become great. Hmm, hallelujah. So the Lord blessed Abraham. Now we are not saved by our own efforts, but by faith. We are not made righteous by our own works, but by faith. And we are not blessed by our own efforts. It is through faith in the gospel. Now, does that mean that Abraham was lazy? That he sat around all day long dreaming of wealth? If I were a rich man. But you're not a rich man. You're an old, you know, you're an old farmer. You ain't, ain't got nothing but two chickens. No, no. He worked and he was wise. But the secret ingredient to his success was this. He considered God trustworthy. And he lived that way. That's it. Well, I believe in hard work. I do. I tell the staff that every chance I get. Some of them would like to testify, but we don't have time. <laughs> I, believe, I believe in being smart. Not only working hard, but working smart. Really working smart. But may I remind you, there are smart people who go bankrupt every day. There are people who work their fingers to the bone and all they have is bony fingers. <laughs> we all know people just like that. That's not enough. 
really what you're doing is you're not trusting in God, you're trusting in yourself. How's that working out for you? Well, I'm nearly exhausted and bankrupt. Okay, and that tells me we need to make a change. Amen. They that are of faith are blessed, empowered to prosper. Empowered by who? By God. Just like Abraham was. Glory to God. May I say something to you? There's a lot of uh, literature in the business world, motivational literature and, and that type of thing on sales and stuff like that. But, a lot, but you have to understand, most of that, the majority of that is not faith in God. That's faith in yourself. And if, that's what you, if, you, if you get that confused with Bible faith, then you're gonna get off track. We're not talking about that. Some of those things may be okay. Some of those things, you, you need to rightly judge it. But I'm talking about putting faith in God first. Don't let the world redefine your definition of faith. Amen? Come on, there's a lot of sinners out there, and before they go into business, say, they, they make confessions. I am somebody. Yeah, I can do it. Yeah, we can do it. Yes, we can. But what's behind that confession? Just their own flesh. You need more than a positive mental attitude. That's okay. I'm not saying that's wrong. I don't think we should have a negative attitude. But you need to put your confidence in the Lord and consider him completely trustworthy. If you want to be blessed like Abraham, you're going to have to live like Abraham. Hallelujah. Hebrews 4, verse 2. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. God promised the descendants of Abraham the land where Abraham dwelt as a sojourner, as a visitor, as a pilgrim. And he told them, I have given you this land. I promised it. I swore in blood to give it to your father Abraham. It's yours. Go in and take it. And it was a good land. I like that. It wasn't some old nasty swamp, you know, or some old rotten piece of nothing. It was a good land. The Bible says flowing with milk and honey. So that meant the land was connected to their prosperity. He told them, you're gonna possess houses that you did not build. You're gonna eat the fruit of vineyards that you did not plant. So this was connected to their prosperity. Hmm? Hallelujah. But Hebrews 4.2 calls the message they heard the good news. So just like God preached before the gospel to Abraham, he preached to his descendants the gospel. So he says the good news, the gospel. It's the same word. But this good news became bad news for them. The promises were not fulfilled in their lives. The word did not come to pass. What they heard made no difference. There was no benefit for them at all. Why? Well, the New Life Version says, 
because it was not mixed with faith. It's not enough for you to know the Bible. It's a big mistake to think that knowledge equals faith. It doesn't. Knowledge is a requirement for faith, but knowledge is not faith. You can know the Bible frontwards and backwards. You can, you know, pride yourself almost, you know, congratulate yourself on knowing these verses already, you know, and having heard them a thousand times. But, but if the word you hear is not mixed with faith, it will not benefit you either. So there's something you must add tonight. God is looking for something from you. He's not asking you to add your opinion, your ideas, your feelings. He's asking you to add your faith. So the word of God remains dormant until the missing ingredient is added, faith. The word is faith activated. It'll just, it, just, it just sit there and does nothing for you. Makes no difference. But when you believe it, something happens. Somebody, Smith Wigglesworth said, nothing happens until somebody believes. Praise the Lord. So very simply, if you believe the Bible, it will work for you. If you don't, it won't. That's, just, that's it. And you can get, you know, everybody to pray for you. You can go on a long fast. You can, uh, you can take a trip to Jerusalem and have somebody baptize you in the River Jordan. Uh, you, you can be anointed with oil from an olive tree. You, you know, you can do all kinds of things. But there's no substitute for faith. God accepts no substitutes. When you believe it, it works for you. So if it's not working for you, you want to take a guess why? So next time you say, well, all of that sounds nice, but, you know, I've heard that preaching so many times, but to be honest, okay, just go ahead and take a, a, a gel pen and write on your hand, unbelief. The Israelites knew that God had spoken to them. They knew it was his word. It was a revelation of his will. They clearly understood what God wanted, but they could not be persuaded to act on it. They just, they couldn't be persuaded. All right, the, the land is ours, but we have to go in and possess it. And they said, I can't do that. The enemies and the obstacles they saw were bigger to them than the God they could not see. And they were afraid. They were afraid. There's no vacuum. There's no vacuum in nature. Something will always fill the vacuum. If there is not faith, there will be fear. You think the opposite of faith is unbelief or doubt, but really it's fear. Because fear is faith in the enemy. You're not the enemy, but I'm just turning. Fear, fear, fear is confidence in what the enemy can do to you, what the devil can do. Where does that fear come from? Well, you see things, but I'm telling you, the enemy will talk to you. You know that's true. Have you ever been tempted? Don't raise your hand. Yes, I, I know you have. <laughs> have you ever been tempted? We all have. Some little voice says, why don't you just go ahead and do that, you know? And uh, when there's fear, when you see people who are paralyzed by fear, you know the enemy has been working on them. The enemy has been talking to them. Faith comes by hearing God's word. Fear comes by hearing the enemy's lies. So if there's not a heart that's filled with faith, I'm telling you, it's got fear in there. And Jesus said, when Jairus' daughter died, Jesus turned immediately and said, fear not. 
only believe, which means we don't need a mixture right now. In this crisis, we don't need a little bit of faith, a little bit of fear, a little bit of doubt. No, we need only faith right now. This, this is an emergency. This is a, this, is a, this is a turning point right now. Only, only. Get rid of the fear and only believe. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. James chapter 2, verse 21 to 23. Was not Abraham our father justified? And that means made righteous. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Huh. So James also quotes this verse from Genesis chapter 15, verse six. If you just woke up, that's our text. (laughs) James also quotes this verse, but... He connects this verse with an incident that occurred in Abraham's life where he was tested. Where God told him to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. Which is something that happened much later. It actually happened in Genesis chapter 22. A long time, many years after Genesis 15, 6. So you read that and you think, hey, James, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I mean, I know I'm just a member here at Spirit of Faith Church, but um, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you're wrong. <laughs> Besides that, uh, James, you need to go read the book of Romans. We're justified by faith and not by works. <laughs> so is James wrong? Well, notice this expression. It says, faith was completed by his works. The Weymouth translation says it this way. You notice that his faith was cooperating with his actions and that by his actions, his faith was perfected. So Abraham believed in the Lord. He considered him trustworthy in Genesis 15, verse six. But it's one thing to say you believe is another thing to prove you believe. Amen? So he acted not because somebody pressured him, not because, you know, it was expected of him, because it wasn't, not because, you know, the whole family is just urging him, come on, you know, family pressure. He acted because and only because of his faith. See, think about this. Do you tithe because you believe or because you feel embarrassed that the usher will just stand there and look at you and you don't have anything to put in the bucket? Do you give to impress people? You probably don't, but some people do, right? I don't like it in some churches where, you know, they count the offering, you know, in the service. We want to thank uh, Brother Jamomi gave five rupees. Oh, praise the Lord. Okay, we want to thank, you know, uh, uh, you know, Brother Martin, he gave, you know, 10 rupees. All right. I don't like that. You got your reward. Amen? 
So his actions were motivated simply by his faith. Why are you here tonight? Well, it's Wednesday. It's my turn to sing. Why are you here tonight? Well, you should come because you believe God. And if you didn't kind of come for that reason, you can make a little change right now. Okay, now I, now I got it. <laughs> because that's how God operates. They which are of faith are blessed. You won't be blessed if you don't come in faith. If you just came because your wife dragged you, if you just came because, you know, you got nowhere else to go, then you need to make a little change right now. They that are of faith are blessed. You want to be blessed tonight? You want to be blessed Sunday? Then you come because of faith. Hallelujah. And by his actions, his faith was completed. So that means inaction means incomplete faith. I have faith. Yeah, but it's not complete. You can claim Abraham's blessing. You can confess that prosperity is your inheritance, but you'll have to work it out by acting on the word. The Message Bible in this verse from James says this. The full meaning of, quote, believe in the scripture sentence, Abraham believed God and it was set and was set right with God, includes his action. In other words, when he says Abraham believed God, that word believe, because of Abraham's actions, it proves that he had faith. Believe includes action. There is no faith without action. I said there is no faith without action. Faith acts on the word of God. Amen. Hallelujah. And I know you say, I, I know that. Good for you. Hear it again. Faith acts on the word of God. Many people have faith like Abraham until they see the giants and the walled cities. Amen. Many people have faith like Abraham until they lose their job. Many people have faith like Abraham until they get the bad report from the doctor. In other words, as long as all is well in their life, they believe God. But actually that proves nothing. We walk by faith and not by sight. It's when everything you see contradicts what you believe and yet you stand firm. That's called faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. By his actions, his faith was perfected. His faith was perfected. So a man came to Smith Wigglesworth many years ago and he had trouble with his arm. He, he, he demonstrated like, you know, his arm's not right. He said, he said, I came earlier and you prayed for me and God healed my arm, but not perfectly. And Wigglesworth said, you know what the problem is? Imperfect faith. <laughs> huh? Yeah, God touched me, but there's still a little something, so can you pray again? Imperfect faith. Well, yeah, I, I know God heard my prayer, and I know God heard your prayer, but I uh, just got a big bill. Can you pray again? Imperfect faith. Huh? Hallelujah. So Genesis 12 was Abraham's call. Genesis 15 was Abraham's confidence. Genesis 22 was Abraham's commitment. It was a process. It's not just a doctrine. It's a life. A life of faith. Praise the Lord. So if you want to be blessed as Abraham was blessed, you'll have to believe like Abraham believed and that means more than just agreeing with the Bible. It means you'll have to live 
the way he lived. You'll have to obey God even when it doesn't always make sense to you. You'll have to trust him when it's hard, when the circumstances seem to be adverse. That's what he did. And those who have faith are the sons of Abraham. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Can we stand to our feet? Praise the Lord. Amen.